This FT Strategies podcast is brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age. It's often said that news media and publishing are under threat, whether it's drops in advertising revenue forcing business models to evolve quickly or shifts in the way consumers consume. Organizations are constantly having to pivot and do so at pace in order to survive. In this series, we look at the defining moments faced by leaders in news publishing and unpack the strategies adopted and capabilities built in order to continue delivering and sustaining journalism and news in the digital age. We'll explore how they're not just surviving, but in some cases, thriving. I'm Tara Lajumoke, and this is The Turning Point by FT Strategies. Hello, and welcome to The Turning Point by FT Strategies. This week, we welcome a publisher from Lisbon, Portugal, who has participated in our Audience Diversity Academy program, delivered in partnership with the Google News Initiative. I'm delighted to welcome David Dinish, Associate Director at Espresso, and Anna Rocha, Manager for News Ecosystem and Innovation Programs at Google. It is great to have you both here. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Tara. It's nice to be here. To set the scene, David, can you give us a bit of background on Espresso, please? Of course. Um, well, f- uh, first things first. The Expresso is the best-selling newspaper in Portugal. It was actually founded in 1973, so it was 50 years ago, just one year before the revolution that brought down the longest dictatorship in Western Europe in the 20th century. At the time, in 1973, the newspaper was struggling with censorship, but today... It is a newspaper of reference with great political influence, I believe. And like all newspapers in Portugal, it's struggling instead with the problem of declining sales of newspaper in print. But it has managed to adapt well. It has already almost 50,000 digital subscribers, more than doubling the number during the years of pandemic. And its paper version still sells more than 40,000 copies on newsstands every week, but it's increasingly a daily information brand by now. Fascinating history. It's amazing to see how much history and change is built into the legacy, if you will, of the institution. Thank you for sharing that. And can you tell us what encouraged your team to apply to the Audience Diversity Academy program? Well, actually, many things, Sarah, but um, I could tell you that being a newspaper with a long history in the media in Portugal, the truth is that Expresso has a long way to go in adapting to a digital journalism. It's not an easy quest for a journal that that was brought to life so, so long ago. 
even harder when we realize that the potentialities that the digital era brings to journalism can multiply every year, every month, uh, every week, actually. Our focus was mainly on the capacity to widen the audience, to diversify it and to seek younger audiences because our main reader is actually more than 56 years old by now. The idea of being connected with the academy, with the FTS, seemed to us a good way to seek those paths because, of course, the FTS is a great experience on the latest decade, which we actually know well. And, of course, the credibility that the project offered, it was also, I think, the right time to do it. Thank you very much, David. That's really helpful. And as you say, the program draws on the experiences of the Financial Times, which FT Strategies is the consultancy from, which, as you say, many of the participants in these programs find really valuable to learn from an organization that has gone through a similar journey in some way and try and understand what lessons, what insights we can take from that to help them achieve their respective goals. And and that program is offered in partnership with Google, with the Google News Initiative that has played a phenomenal role since the start of the partnership in 2020. And Anna, can you please tell us about Google's efforts to help publishers diversify their audiences and to achieve many of the goals that David spoke to in his intro? So at Google, one of our uh, primary focus is obviously to help people access quality information. Um, We drive traffic to new sites every day and we surface a range of sources, of topics, etc. Publishers are obviously very core to this mission um, and we realize how key they are to building more informed communities um, and to the sustainability of strong democracies, obviously. So at the product level, we made a few updates that help publishers connect with their audience. One of the first things that we did was we strive to elevate local news. So we uh, rolled out globally available news carousel uh, news features focused on surfacing local news stories based on the reader's area. Um, We hope this helps connect readers uh, with the news that matters to them in their areas. And it also helps local publishers by adding, obviously, another way um, for reporting to their and reach their communities. Um, We have also uh, been working to improve our system so that authoritative local news sources appear alongside national news. So we can help, uh, once again, these publishers reach their relevant audiences and these more diverse audiences reach the content that matters to them. Another thing that we've been focusing on for a long time now is on original reporting. Um, We've been doing a lot of work to improve our ranking signals to help the system better recognize individual pieces of original reporting. And with that, surfacing these original reporting sources and stories more prominently on our search uh, products and news uh, products. Through these systems, we've been able to develop systems that help us understand if a publisher has a long history of producing original content and use this as a signal to help with their performance in our news results surfaces. And then, of course, um, more recently, we've been 
working through Google News Showcase, which we've already launched in 21 different countries, including Portugal, which is basically a licensing program for news publishers that provides a customizable space in our news um, content uh, products for them to showcase and highlight the content that they believe uh, their readers want to see and connect them directly with them. From an ecosystem standpoint, my role and a lot of my colleagues' role is to make sure that our partners, both individual publishers, but also associations um, and other uh, organizations we, uh, we very closely work with, our role is to make sure that all of these products, the tools that are relevant and necessary to reach all types of audiences are in place and are working as intended and benefiting the entire ecosystem. Thank you, Anna. That's very helpful. I'd love to go back to David now. And David, maybe we could go back to perhaps the start of the sort of editorial journey. Can you give us a brief overview of Expresso's journey so far? You already spoke to a number of important factors, links to quite a few important moments in in Portugal's history as well. But maybe just talk a bit about its editorial strategy and the evolution of that mm-hmm. and how audience development has played a role in that journey. Well, this, this was actually um, just a weekly newspaper put on print. But in recent years, of course, Expresso has focused its entire strategy on attracting new digital subscribers. Putting aside that whole idea that success would be in the number of people visiting, visiting the website, whether that success was editorial or commercial. So three years ago, therefore, we changed our paywall, reinforcing our exclusive content on a daily basis. And the first steps of that strategy were very, how could I say this, instinctive. That's why we started changing about a year and a half ago with a data team creating a dashboard that would allow us to start measuring step by step the interests of of the the Expresso subscribers compared to the other non-usual readers. So the problem was that a year ago, Expresso was the target of a very, very violent cyber attack. Our website was down for over two months. Our emails were affected. Our CMS was affected also. And so was the dashboard that we have built recently. So only a few months later, we did were able to recover everything. But we had to start almost um, from scratch. So... That's when we applied to the Academy, actually. Uh, The fresh start came at the right time, when we wanted to take an even bigger bigger leap, combining a more dedicated focus on our, how can I say this, a a more loyal audience with the need to bring other audiences closer to us. Goodness, cybersecurity is obviously a big theme at the moment. You know, we've seen it in many examples recently. And it was terrible for us, actually, because we're heading pretty well to our goals. We're finally having a great dashboard to measure everything step by step, audience by audience, uh, text by text. It, it was actually in the beginning of the year, in the second day of the of 22, the cyber attack threw us apart. So we started going on social networks to make sure that our audience knew that we're still alive. 
and just a couple of months later we could we were able to relaunch the website with a new design but it was the there were two terrible months I can imagine but that also shows a lot of resilience on your part as well to come back so quickly after such a challenging period um so congratulations on that thank you can you say a bit more about when Expresso started to view audience diversity in particular mm-hmm. as a crucial area of focus and what motivated a shifting in perspective? I know earlier you said, you know, the profile of your audience was on the older end, 56 years, you said. So it seems like there was a recognition. But when did that start and why? I can say that when the pandemic started to get under control in Portugal and, and of course, the need for permanent information started to decrease, we realized that we would have to adapt our strategy in short notice. It is impossible, I think, in, in times of relative normality to attract as many subscribers as those who join us in those difficult, very difficult two years. We got more than 20,000 new subscribers by then. So a strategy dedicated only to the most loyal readers become insufficient uh, at that time. But mm. when we entered the, the unknown territory and we had to rethink many things, other than the essence of Expresso, which is obviously the credibility and the, the depth of its journalism, we had to rethink the editorial content, the data we need to go further, the, the capacity to retain the attention of new readers, even our internal organization, because our means are always pretty short for our ideas or ambitions or for all the news that are coming day by day. So that's the time when we, we realized that we had to stretch the way we see our own audience. That's very helpful. Anna, I'd love to come to you now to get your perspective on what you think are some of the most significant challenges facing news organisations today. You've already mentioned some interesting observations around Google's commitment to supporting the sustainability of the industry and its impact on strong democracies, for example, helping create news that matter to societies. But but what do you think is probably the, the top, in your mind, challenge for, for many in the industry today? I've already t- touched on, the, on, obviously, the need for sustainable business models. Um, and I think we are right now at a very important moment um, in history where we're seeing that transition ha- actively happening. And, and I'm personally very happy about it. But some others that I would uh, like to outline, and of course, no one can predict the future. Um, and with new technologies constantly coming up, I am sure that new challenges will be arising um, again very soon for us all. Um, but I think there is a very clear need um, that the public needs authoritative content. Uh, and there's a very clear ask from the public, from, from the audience, for messages from uh reliable and credible um, sites and publishers to be prioritized on important topics like health, climate, human rights, you name it. Then I think for publishers, uh, there's this real need to build their readership. And David was talking about connecting with their most loyal audiences, but also building this community and reaching out to different 
potential very loyal audiences connecting with these communities that mm. um, are that have the potential to become loyal readers and to obviously bring business and helping that thrive for for a sustainable business model, but also to make sure that we're not leaving anyone behind in terms of information, right? So I think there's this is a very important and interesting challenge. And then I think a challenge that we've we've seen in the past few years, but we'll continue to see, and I I'm afraid faster and faster is the the fact that user behavior is constantly changing, especially with you know the the fast pace that technologies are changing as well. And I think those organizations, from my point of view, those organizations who are able to invest in their people and their technology will be able to maintain and build um, tighter feedback loops. So, you know, one thing informs the other and the business keeps growing and the communities uh, are more engaged. And I think that is um, really, 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 really helpful. Um, Mm. And I think, if I may say that, Espresso has been doing a a great job at that with this work of connecting with new audiences without forgetting about the audience that was already there. That's a very important feedback loop that needs to be praised as well in all of this work. Indeed. Thank you, Anna, for that. And actually, I'm going to get your opinion on Espresso as a consumer, (laughs) not as an industry expert. So hold that thought, but that's really helpful. Thank you. David, if I can come back to you, please. So you've talked us through the evolution of the strategy, some of the history as well. And you also at the start talked a bit about some of the things that encouraged you to apply to the program, ADA, you know, you had a long way to go to widening and diversify your audience. Um, can you maybe share a bit more detail on some of the specific challenges that you wanted to address with the program? Actually, one thing that we, we didn't think when we applied to the program was how much we could gain concerning our own internal organization. So with this project, we we have started to work in teams that bring together several departments of the newspaper, which before few crossed to think and to make decisions altogether. So this has stayed with us um, since the beginning of the project because the method that the, the Financial Times Strategies team uses with us is putting everyone in one place once or twice a week for a few uh, for a few hours and thinking, brainstorming with all departments involved. We have also gained some know-how. So, for instance, by realizing that more than thinking about digital first, and that's the ex- the usual expression used in Portugal concerning uh, media or journalism. We now have to think or should be thinking about audience first. Better than that. I, uh, we were told that you, we could think about audiences first. So not one audience, but more than that, because it's really possible at every step to communicate with different types of readers and do it differently uh, concerning which one you're talking to at each time. And we, we learn to measure better uh, the data, of course, at, at each step, uh, at each meeting we had, that we had with the FTS team. We are gaining perspective and also ideas on how to adapt our dashboards to our ideas 
or to our challenges, to our biggest difficulties. This is in addition to the two projects themselves, of course, which we created, I think, with a lot of ambition, but whose results tend to be very, very interesting indeed. Thank you for that, David. That's very helpful and provides a very comprehensive view of this goal for diversification, where you're absolutely right. I think sometimes people see it through one of several possible lenses. It's maybe a commercial or business goal, or it's an organizational goal, or it's a societal goal even. But you're right to point out that it is quite multifaceted. And the approach that you use has to therefore also be quite holistic. I love your emphasis on cross-functional teams. And this is really a powerful way to continue to sustain the progress that you've made and getting different perspectives and skill sets together. Um, One of the things that we focus on the program is this concept of a North Star goal. Can I ask, what was your North Star goal and what insights have you gained so far as part of that process? Well, in in simple terms, uh, we aim to increase the number of new subscriptions by 10,000 by 2025, but only from readers under uh, 35 years old. So it's quite challenging. But I think it's a, a good challenge. Actually, we launched the, the, the experience with the FTS by December. And the, the first results came by really soon. And we didn't expect that. So when we looked at the, the new subscriptions in January, we had a loop. Suddenly, there are plenty more young people. It could be a coincidence, but the question is, Actually, when we measure the results that we have in the program, some of, that, of those results could, could have been brought by this, this project that we kept together. Congratulations. Um, sounds like you still have some investigation to do to understand the drivers, but that's fantastic results so far. And I'm actually going to ask for more detail on some of the experiments that you ran. Um, But before then, before I I move on to Anna, one more question for you, David. How does that North Star goal fit within the wider strategy and goals of the organization? Mm -hmm. Well, um, in fact, our central goal at Expresso is to reach 60,000 digital subscribers by 2025. So the new strategy of looking at younger readers will always have to be aligned with the other strategy of keeping today's 48,000 subscribers within the Expresso. And that's why we're Mm. now uh, launching a new project. We call it Club Expresso or Club Expresso. And that's a a series of initiatives that that all have the, uh, the same goal. It's to strengthen the relationship between the Expresso team of journalists and our subscribers, whether in the form of of digital conversations about the the week's news, the daily news, or by opening visits to the newsroom or meeting in cafes in major cities, but also creating new thematic newsletters just for them and reopening the comments area that we have been removing uh, from our website a few years ago. So... uh, 
with all this strategy aligned together, we believe that we can link the two strategies that we need, not only giving new arguments to subscribers to stay connected with us, but also giving arguments to new readers to join the club eventually. And uh, David said something really interesting around audience first, which I'm a firm believer in. And, you know, digital and data and all these other important tenets and technologies should really underpin that goal. Um, but if I can perhaps practice a little bit of what he's preached, audience first. Can you put your consumer or audience hat on for a few minutes and give us your perspective as a longtime subscriber of Expresso of how they've evolved over the years, whether it's through content or proposition? Um, yeah, sure. This is it's, it's been very interesting to me because I am, as you said, um, I, I've been a subscriber for I don't know, I think almost 10 years now. Um, so it's been, it's, it's been a long time. Um, and <clears throat> when I, when I subscri subscribed, um, Espresso was precisely because of the reason that David outlined in the beginning. I was living outside of Portugal. I lived abroad for uh, more than 10 years, um, having recently come back. And to me, um, when I was abroad, I was looking for you know, the, mo the national and most probably like most reliable source of news that I could find in Portugal. And so Espresso came up as definitely one of those. It's, it's the, the, um, the most widely known. And so to me, it made sense to, if I was going to do, to subscribe one Portuguese newspaper, um, to be Espresso. And that's what I did. At the time, I was obviously using Espresso. I was receiving the newsletters. Basically, my goal was to get an overview of the news, what was happening in Portugal, with a very heavy political view on, on, on national issues. And I wanted to keep in touch with the country, basically. More recently, what I, what I have seen um, was this very interesting transformation in terms of the way that um, Espresso has made me interact with the content, even before I came back to Portugal. I'm a millennial, if we want to use the, you know, the generation um, jargon. And so I am on the audience that they are trying to reach. I'm under 35. And so I, I, I very much consume content as a millennial. Um, I am always on the go. I, I, I care about specific issues related to, you know, be it um, minorities or social issues, activism, I'm very much involved uh, in that social scene, both in Portugal and abroad. And I am keen on, obviously, innovative formats. I love newsletters. I love podcasts. Uh, when I'm on the go, I'm driving to get my kids. I'm listening to a podcast. And, I, and I, I'm, very, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much a millennial in the way that I consume content. Um, and I'm obviously a very heavy user of social media. And what I've seen over the past few months um, with Espresso is that very naturally, without me even noticing it, I started interacting more with the content because the kind of topics that were starting to be discussed were more near and dear to what I care about, to what I was discussing with my friends, in my circles of trust. And we could see that both, both in the content that started to be um, discussed, the opinion article writers uh, that are starting to appear in Espresso are people that people of my generation follow, we interact with on social media, we care about the same topics, maybe we disagree on some topics, but it's interesting to hear from them. Even the long-time podcasts that I've always listened to are starting to touch on, um, if, if you know, if 
lighter topics, not as deep in terms of, of, of thought, but more, you know, lighter, social, that can in, involve the community more, more easily. And so it just became lighter and easier to listen to. And I found myself, and I was having this conversation when we were uh, prepping for the podcast, I just found myself much more involved um, with the whole Espresso experience because it attended to my needs and what I was looking for much better. So my experience as a consumer has been rising. I was, I was still a subscriber before, right? But I probably did not interact with the content as much as I, as I do now. And the, the, the reasons are definitely different. Thank you very much for that, Anna. Very thorough. Goodness, I, I wish all of our customer research can be this constructive and focused. <laughs> David, we just offered you a focus group customer research piece. Oh, I'm, for I'm free as part of the I'm podcast. Asking, yeah, I'm, I'm asking Anna to join the club and, and please uh, help us getting better all the time. No, thank you, Anna. That was that was wonderful. We're surely making an effort to to do things differently. Um, I think we're accomplishing a, a few stuff by, by that, but um, it is a challenging way and it, it will take a, a while to, to get to the place where we want to be, but uh, uh, we're moving and that's, that's what's important. Indeed. And actually a key thing that we work with many publishers on to do exactly what you described, David, is experimentation, right? So you've got that goal. Yes, there are challenges, risks and unknowns, but testing and learning is a really important part of our methodology and a proven part of the playbook that companies like the Financial Times have used to transform. Um, can you share a little bit, David, about how you and your colleagues found the process of experimentation? Look, it was so, so interesting. Um, I have this little story. It, it was almost at the beginning of the project. Uh, I joined a, a group of seven youngest journalists, of, of the youngest of the journalists in the newsroom. And since the beginning, we told them that we, we should celebrate the successes, but uh, we should actually celebrate the failures uh, at the same time. So... It, it didn't matter if we failed at the, at the test and an hypothesis that we couldn't get right um, because it, it, it was kind of a, it was the way go, moving, moving forward. At, at first, it seemed really strange for them. They kept looking at me, seeking if I was having trouble or something. But the truth is that when we start to have more data to analyze, and when we know better how to read the data and what it says about our audiences, it all makes a lot of sense. In, in the middle of the, of the project, one of the people who accompanied us uh, from the Financial Times strategy told me something that made perfect sense of that idea that experimenting and dropping what doesn't work. And he told me that when we are too few in the newsroom, we actually have to choose the right things to do. For us, we actually have a few journalists in the newsroom, much less than we should have or would like to have to cover all the news. Uh, we're too few to get to, to the many ideas that we have in the newsroom or that we actually just want to do. So 
data and experiences help us a lot in that, to make decisions, to choose where to go and what to leave behind. Basically, I, I, I rather think like this. This is our reader's way of helping us choose those paths. And that's what actually makes sense. Can we actually zoom in to talk about some of those experiments? Um, maybe one or two. How you went about doing them and what results you came across, whether it's, as you say, positive or negative results, all of those insights should be celebrated. Um, I understand you did something around publishing seven pieces of content a week yeah, and also something around new channels. Yeah, I'll start by the by what, what you've said. Well, that was the most challenging, the outside experience. So our hypothesis w was simple, but actually pretty difficult uh, with a small team. Uh, the, the hypothesis was this one. If we create seven pieces of content per week uh, aimed at readers under 35 years old, we will get more young readers on those news stories, but also we could get a higher percentage of younger readers in the total of the website. So the truth is that we've managed to achieve many goals. We managed to motivate and help our younger journalists to grow, and only they, the youngest, know how to think and to write to those kind of readers. We, we were able to, to reach topics that we normally, usually we didn't cover. And then we got better at choosing that path. So uh, designing the, 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 the content pieces, especially for the younger generation, which reads kind of differently from my generation, for instance. Um, and all of this we did with uh, the help of the data team. So we were pretty close to them and um, with that, we managed not only to attract many readers who used to read uh, little or nothing in the Expresso website, but also to systematically increase the percentage of younger readers in our website. As for the other, the second experience, it was an internal experience. And we decided to create an, uh, a weekly newsletter to get information to everyone, not only in the newsroom, but everyone with, who works with, with Expresso. And we did it step by step, not only uh, telling everyone the project results, but also with all the news that is happening uh, inside the company. We actually believe that it could be able to increase the transparency within Expresso, but also the feeling of integration of everyone in the newsroom and beyond it. Can you talk a little bit about the second experiment? I mean, that last one was really impressive results already, but um, the new channels to increase data awareness. We kind of made a, a survey when the, the FTS started to, to work with us uh, in the academy. We, we did a survey that it was showed a, a quite surprising results. That the most important could be this one. Uh, the, the younger part of the newsroom was actually the part of the newsroom which was, I wouldn't say less motivated to work with uh, in Expresso, but the, the, the part of the newsroom that were, had less links, emotional links, uh, uh, with Expresso. So what we, 
what we found there, there with the, with the, the survey was that they didn't, they, they, they didn't feel um, integrated by the, 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 the editors. They didn't know which steps we were taking at Expresso to take it further, the new projects, the, the prizes that we get, um, who's who, who, who's taking the lead, who can help them to, to, uh, to grow. Um, and that kind of information in, inside Expresso, when we looked at the mirror, w was actually not enough. So the internal newsletter was kind of an easy way, way out. So if we do this uh, weekly newsletter, that could be, that was sent not just to the younger part of the, of the newsroom, but to everyone. Everyone would have, by the end of that week, uh, the same amount of information about what has, uh, what's happening inside the newsroom or the new project that we're trying to build or the Club Expresso or the, this new project with the younger team. And people in the newsroom started to talk about it. They started to ask us questions about the project, to ask us how could they could help, to whom they could give ideas uh, or trying to solve problems like uh, uh, if a younger uh, of the uh, if a younger journalist is making this piece or this content piece on let's say politics or just about education or something else the guys in the newsroom that actually follow education for instance uh, wanted to uh, be close to the process so it put the pieces a little more together. Uh, we're getting feedback, we're getting a lot more information, a lot more integration, and it feels actually really good to, to be helpful with a, a simple uh, internal newsletter. Thank you so much, David. That's really informative and insightful. And you've touched on so many important principles around the concept of experimentation. I think the Examples that you shared shows that it doesn't have to be overly complicated or costly or time consuming. Of course, you have to give some thought and time to choosing the right experiments. But I yeah. love the fact that you're hypothesis driven um, and you built a plan. You defined the context and you designed using the right formats um, and you assessed and celebrated results, whether it was successful or failed, which are actually terms that I, yeah. I don't like to use often because, you know, those results that actually surprise you are just as insightful most times as the less surprising or successful, if you will. Yeah, that, there's one example uh, within the first project that is really interesting because there was one week when we put it a piece all together uh, with contributions from the whole team that it was a major success within the, the website. It got to more than 100,000 readers. And we thought, we, we were expecting that the quality reads and the younger generation reads were as high as we saw in the general website. But it turns out that it wasn't. So when we looked at the results on that particular week, we, it showed the downsize. And we had to look at the data to see that well, actually, it wasn't quite of a failure because what happened was that it brought a f more younger readers to the website, but it, it brought 
plenty more than that of the oldest readers also. So it was kind of a mixed feeling, the success, but it was really interesting. And it shows this, that it, there, there is a way if you look at the data and test your experiences and it, it will bring you much further than we, we are right now. Exactly. And it's such a relatively quick and low investment route to testing those assumptions, validating, de-risking. I think the other interesting thing that you touched on is that audience citrusy, citrusity, yes, that's it, reader centricity, let's say, um, and that data-driven approach. You know, so the fact that you were reviewing and absorbing the data to try and understand what was happening already starts to reinforce that data-driven culture, but also one that promotes audience first, as you said. Anna, if I can come back to you for a final question, please, which is, what do you think other news organizations can learn from Expresso's journey in terms of audience diversity and editorial strategy? All of this that David was just describing to me, it's a, it's a great example of how to answer to that, to one of those challenges that I mentioned previously, the construction of these tighter feedback loops. Um, what you put out there will inform the way your business is managed from the inside out and vice versa. All of this that Espresso has been doing, and my example as a consumer, is, is a great example of, of that, of how to build and tighten those feedback loops um, and use them for good. And it will not always have the expected results, as David was just saying. Um, doesn't mean the results are bad. And I think one very important thing is to be comfortable. It's very, it's hard. This is a very hard journey to be comfortable with this discomfort of going out of your way, of doing things you're not used to do, of going after an audience that, frankly, you have no idea how to interact with, right? You're, you're, you're a traditional newspaper born in 1973 for a different generation, a different country, different country in a, in a historical period that is very heavily marked uh, by, you know, very deep changes in our society. Absolutely. And what what my parents lived in that area is fundamentally different than the world I live in nowadays, and it will be fundamentally different from the world that my children will live in 20 years. And so realizing that if you don't do that, you're jeopardizing your future, and you have to be comfortable within that discomfort of, okay, we're going to try this, we're going to be okay with failing, maybe we're not going to get it right the first time, and we're going to surround ourselves with people who have more experience in this or who can help us build this, and we're going to trust each other within our organization to try and do something different. I think that's a, a very big learning. It's very hard for big organizations to do these changes, um, but I ultimately, I think the ones that thrive and the ones that keep growing and the ones that survive for many decades um, are the ones who have this ability to reinvent themselves and to be to be okay being uncomfortable right um, so I, I do think it's a, it's a great learning and it, it's been great to see this journey uh, from espresso thank you Anna I love that comfort in discomfort <laughs> 
David, final word to you. What is one piece of strategic advice that you have for your peers in the industry? Something perhaps that you wish you knew before your turning point at Expresso? Well, I, I could just quote Anna uh, because it sounds wonderful what she said and, and absolutely true. But I, I, I could say also to work together and destroy the silence. Uh, it's it's not only because it's more challenging and constructive, but also because it helps to better understand each other's team's difficulties and limitations. And because, I should say this on top of that, because it has a huge advantage beside this one. You can end up creating good friendships too. So it's better when we work together, uh, better when we understand together, uh, better when we construct the road ahead together. Destroy, just destroy the silos and don't look behind. Love it. Very powerful points there. Break down silos, stronger together. Comfort and discomfort, audience first measure the data better. Thank you both David and Anna. That has been incredibly fascinating. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of The Turning Point. We will be back next week with another edition of The Turning Point podcast, exploring the critical moments news publishers have faced and the new direction they forged. This FT Strategies podcast was brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age.